Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Happy holidays and welcome to another week of 1111 Talk Radio. It is a pleasure to be here with you. And I invite you to sit back and deepen into your chair and relax. And we're going to dive into a really rich conversation. Last week, um, my guest and I talked about the luminous landscape of the afterlife and provided a really different view of what the afterlife looks like based on the experiences he channeled from his son that had passed away. Matthew McKay was an incredible conversation, so I hope you go back and listen to it if you have not. But it felt necessary to deepen that conversation about death. It is one of our greatest fears when we come to looking at life. So often our fear of loss, and especially the fear of loss of our body and our lives, tend to put us into constriction and almost fear being alive unknowingly. Most people believe in some type of life after death, whether that's rebirth or reincarnation, where we're born into a new body or incarnate as an entity or even resurrection as they do in Christianity where the old body is raised anew. And most people in Western culture believe there must be something of ourselves that survives the loss of the physical body, some form of our identity or self through which our life is lived and through which we attain meaning. My guest today is Claire Goldsberry, and she gives an account and a vivid and precise idea, not necessarily of how everyone should face death, but of how one man did so with courage and integrity. Whether we are able to follow his example when our time comes is an open question. Can death be our teacher? Claire has written numerous books, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about those when we uh, go to commercial break. But I want to specifically mention her new book, The Illusion of Life and Death. And you can find out more about her at claregoldsbury.com. But without further ado, I want to welcome you, Claire, to 1111 Talk Radio. Thank you, Simran. It's good to be here. Um, Some of what I opened with was actually from your book, and it is an enticing concept to really contemplate. And I want to start with the final question that I asked, and that was, can death be our teacher? It certainly seems that it has been a teacher, mentor, or guide of sorts to you and 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 perhaps even um, to those that pass, that it becomes that. Talk about how it might be our teacher before we pass. Well, I think death is something that we all are somewhat familiar with because I doubt there are a few of us who have um, gone through uh, life, even if it's a you know only t- the first twenty or forty years without knowing someone who has who has died. And most people, particularly in the West, uh, do not have a good grasp of what death is and how we die. And I think how we die is as important as how we live. And I think that if we understood death and the process of dying, how we die, we would have a better life. We would learn to live more fearlessly and more fully and, um, and be able to, to face the things that we have to face um, without fear. So looking at, at death as a teacher, I think um, 
being with people who, uh, who are dying is very helpful. But we don't often get that chance, uh, particularly in, in modern times. Uh, you know, 100 years ago, people died at home. Um, people died with their relatives uh, around them. And so death was very near. It was, it was very close. People tended to be more accepting of it, I think. But nowadays, many people, they die in hospitals uh, or they die in hospices, which is a good thing because at least at a hospice, a person can have their, their loved ones around them as they, as they die. But even then, and I know from having done some volunteer work for uh, a local hospice here in Phoenix um, after Brent died, I, I saw that even at a hospice facility, people get anxious and upset when they see their loved ones uh, nearing death and, and they don't know what to do. And they get, uh, oftentimes their ego gets involved and they beg the person not to die. And, and it, it's kind of sad to see that. And so one of the reasons I wrote the book was to help people understand, first of all, what is life? How do we create the external experience that we call life, and then how that helps us to learn how to die. So death can be a teacher if we open it up and allow it to be, but people are afraid of death. People are afraid of dying, and that often causes them to ignore uh, the ideas of death and how we die. You know, I think with the experiences uh, through COVID and over the past couple of years and, and now, you know, with another permutation that is Omicron, death has been kind of uh, on the surface of the brain for everyone, whether they talk about it or not. It's, it's this thing that kind of lingers in the air because of the grave uncertainty that is kind of at the forefront of, of life at this moment. And so much of what you just talked about does have to do with our willingness to have true aliveness, to really live our lives. But it seems that that would be hindered if at a subconscious level or even at a surface level, we're constantly thinking of, oh my goodness, you know, when that time comes or, um, or I have parents that might get ill or I have family that has uh, different health issues and if they get sick, then they could die. There's all that extra stress and concern that, uh, it, it does create kind of a dampening and a barrier around us that that stops individuals from truly living the lives that that they would otherwise. Right, but I, I think those barriers are self-imposed. Um, you know, and, and uh, when I was uh, at studying with a Buddhist sangha, often the teacher would say, "Death is certain. The time of our death is uncertain." And we live with uncertainty every day. Um, I, I realize that, you know, the whole COVID thing has been in the forefront. And yet people are still dying of many other causes, you know, whether it's car wrecks or just, you know, getting hit by a bus, uh, whatever, because life is fragile. And uncertainty is something we live with all the time. So how can we... Take this uncertainty and embrace it because you don't know what's going to happen when you wake up and get out of bed in the morning. It's just one of those things. Um, 
there's there's just so many things that that life offers that that makes us you know fearful of death or afraid to really live uh, because of you know what might happen and yet learning to live fearlessly is is really important to learning to have a happy life um, some of the most miserable people I know are just you know they they hide in fear and it really it really poses barriers to living well. And I think that's something that we need to learn to do is to live well and not allow these thoughts of, of death. And, and certainly uh, one of the, the, the important things that we remember uh, in, in, say, Buddhist practitioners is remember death. Uh, because from, from, say, an Eastern philosophical standpoint, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism, remembering death should help us live better. But I think we've not done that real well in the modern West. In Native American culture, there's a saying, it's a good day to die, it's a good day to live. And I think that if I look at my own spiritual journey, there have been many personal deaths that I've experienced, death of a marriage, death of certain relationships, death of jobs, in in different ways. And that doesn't necessarily equate to what it would feel like in terms of losing someone or it being in the process of, of losing our own physical body. But you talk about in the book, if we see all events as opportunities to grow, even the events that we do not want, we begin to understand their meaning to us. And so how can, number one, those smaller deaths within our own life assist us in moving towards the steps of non-attachment and different things related to uh, the death of someone that we love or, or some illness or something that may be contracted and where we're in that facing that type of thing? And how can being beside someone that is, is dying, just as you were, how can that teach us something where we don't make it about us, and we really do allow it to be the presence of the other person. Right, right. Well, I, I think first of all, one of the one of the most important practices that has been of benefit to me, probably more than anything, is the idea of impermanence. We have this perspective of life here in the West that's very different from the Eastern philosophies. Um, that everything is permanent, uh, that we, we see this world around us and it's all permanent. Uh, it will never change or it seems to never change. And we don't like change. Human beings do not like change. Um, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that says, oh, I just love change. I would just like to have things change every day. I would like to, you know, have a different life every day. And yet, no, nobody wants that. Everybody likes sameness. People like things status quo. So learning impermanence and really embracing the idea of impermanence that, you know, the body I have today, the cells and my skin and my hair, everything has changed. Even in the past month, I don't have the same cells that I had a month ago. Um, You know, relationships, you brought up relationships, the death of a marriage. Um, the death of friendships uh, and and all of that 
must be kept in perspective of impermanence. Nothing is permanent in on the physical plane in this in this experience that we're having that we call physicality. Nothing is permanent. And I think that's really hard to grasp because we like to believe it is. And in fact, many times, you know, we grow up being taught that things are permanent until you die. And yet, as you point out, there are all these little deaths along the way that can teach us what happens if things are not permanent. What happens when impermanence really confronts me? And how do I embrace that as part of the path? And and being with someone uh, while they're dying, I was fortunate. I had um, the uh, book of the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying by Soil Rinpoche uh, at my side that I had been reading, and the the second third of that uh, book tells about the dying process, how we die physically. Now, obviously, people die in different ways. Some people are killed immediately. You know, it's an instantaneous death. But many deaths occur in steps and stages or phases. And it, it really is, is helpful. It was helpful to me to be able to look at those stages as described in the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, and then to to be able to understand what was going on. And I think that's a lot of times why people get so upset when they're um, attending the, the death of a loved one, is they don't know what's happening. Oh, my goodness, what's happening? You know, this person is, you know, they're, it's, they're doing this or that, or something's happening and I don't know what it is. So it was really helpful. In fact, it was rather... Um, rather amusing. I told Brent uh, just a couple of days before he, he died, I told him, I said, I sh- I'm sure glad you're dying by the book so that I know what's going on with this, you know. <laughs> I just smiled, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you're lucky if you're, you're with someone who's dying by the book, so to speak, you know. But I think that's, uh, it, everything is a, is a teaching moment. But I think it's up to us to sometimes study these things. Um, there's a lot of information out there uh, in books, whether you're reading the Eastern philosophies or um, near-death experiences, uh, books about that, um, there are things we can learn, and it's very helpful to to look at this and to study it and to be prepared for it because it's going to happen to us, to those we love, um, you know, our pets, our friends, anyone. Mm, that that's quite powerful in that we have tools that can help guide us forward in terms of understanding the process or even understanding the afterlife like my guest last week. And it seems that as we go through our life experiences, it's the struggle that we have about uh, letting go that, that often causes the pain and the constriction and the suffering that ends up taking right. place, whether it's a marriage that's trying to dissolve, it's trying to hang on to a dream or hang on to something that was, rather than allowing it to flow. And it, it would appear to me that that death could be very similar, particularly if you're facing uh, a type of a long-term illness or, or these different stages that you're talking about. We can either fight that and really resist it and make it a very difficult experience 
whether we are the one that is in that process or whether we are one watching another have that process. After our commercial break, I want to talk a little bit more about that, about the struggle, uh, about the attachment that takes place so that we dive a little further into that conversation. Think about living well. Claire Goldsberry's wish is that everyone would have a good death, as Brent did. Dine quietly, peacefully, without fear, and free from attachments either to the body or to others. That takes an understanding of life, death, and consciousness, and reality, from each of us, especially doctors or other health care providers, who are often present in the face of death. Join us in the next segment where we talk a little bit about that as well. How can health care providers support us in our process of death as opposed to uh, having it be more of a struggle? Claire Goldsberry's other spiritual books include The Teacher Within, A Stranger in Zion. She lives in Phoenix where she teaches classes on Buddhism, Hinduism, Kabbalah, Gnosticism, Ageless Wisdom Traditions, Theosophy, Christianity in America, Mormonism, Transcendentalism, and New Thought for the Maricopa County Community College. In her newest book, The Illusion of Life and Death, Mind, Consciousness, and Eternal Being, Claire Goldsberry shares her insights on living and dying as seen through the ages by those who have sought answers regarding the most mysterious aspects of life we call death. You can find out more about her at clairegoldsberry.com. That link is in her bio description on the show page, so you can check it out there as well. So definitely uh, go and look up her book, The Illusion of Life and Death. We'll be right back with more of Claire Goldsberry right after these messages. want more more joy more abundance more power and presence how would it feel to have more loving relationships more empowered community greater fulfillment and life purpose the 1111 mastermind community inspires empowers guides and supports transformation shift your mind expand your heart deepen insights let go and chart a new course dream a new dream the 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com.
live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. The holiday season is coming fast and furious, and I thought I would mention something that I have found that is really intriguing and probably a great tie-in to the conversation that we're having today. This holiday season, I wanted to give my loved ones something that made them feel special and unique, like the relationship that we share. And it was something that I wanted to create that had meaning for me, as well as uh, would be meaningful to them and have some sort of tie-in to the two of us. And so everyone that I'm caring about in regard to uh, nieces, nephews, and uh, my children, I'm giving them StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that actually helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It's a really thoughtful and meaningful gift that helps you connect you to those that matter most. And so each week, StoryWorth sends me an email, and I get a thought-provoking question of my choice from their vast pool of possible options, and each unique prompt asks questions that you never thought to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done with your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? Um, what are some of your bucket list things that you would like to do? So after about a year, StoryWorth actually compiles all of these loved ones' stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you're able to share and revisit for generations to come. And I thought, what a great way for me to get to know these people that I love so much even more deeply by getting a collection of their stories and giving them a collection of mine. Reading the weekly stories actually helps you connect with your loved ones no matter how far or near you are apart. Uh, And so with StoryWorth, I want to let you know that you can save $10 on your first purchase if you go to storyworth.com slash 11. That is a special gift that is available for all of my 1111 Talk Radio listeners. And you can join me in giving your loved ones StoryWorth and get to know them better, connect more deeply. After the periods of time that we've had, it's time to reconnect and get back to what's at the heart. So go to storyworth.com slash 11 and start your StoryWorth log today. I also want to mention one of my sponsors is betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash 11. Spell out the word 11. So if something is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, betterhelp.com forward slash 11 will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You're actually matched within 48 hours. Now, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. This is professional therapy done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available for you to uh, access and what might not be available in your local area. It's a service that is available for clients worldwide. You actually log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You will always get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you don't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. There's no commuting involved. Just go to betterhelp.com forward slash 11. Spell out the word 11. 
they're actually really committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So definitely go visit betterhelp.com forward slash 11. That's H-E-L-P, help. Visit their website, read their testimonials, and you will join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. I want to dive back into my conversation with Claire Goldsberry, and we are talking about the illusion of life and death. Uh, You can find out more at her website, clairegoldsberry.com. She wrote this book after her partner Brent's illness and death to help people understand what having a good death means, a death without fear of the unknown, to trust the path of passing, which makes living so much more enjoyable. Her intention is to help people understand The end of this lifetime is as important and miraculous as the beginning. It truly is a time to celebrate life and the death of the person. In her newest book, The Illusion of Life and Death, Mind, Consciousness, and Eternal Being, Claire shares insights as a Buddhist practitioner, her spiritual studies, and her partner's cancer journey to provide a profound view of living and dying, as seen through the ages by those who have sought answers regarding the most mysterious aspect of life we call death. The 17th century English uh, Jeremy Taylor writes, He that will die and happily must dress his soul by a diligent and frequent scrutiny. He must perfectly understand and watch the state of his soul. He must set his house in order before he is fit to die. And for this there is a great reason and a great necessity. The good death, a time of penitence and contemplation before anticipated death, was aimed at putting the house of the soul in order. Welcome back, Claire. I want to go back to the question that I posed at the end of the last segment, and that is this way that we have as human beings to struggle, to to hold on, to resist letting go. And I want to talk about how that pertains to someone that is going through the process of dying. As you had witnessed, how can we eliminate that type of suffering and is there a distinction, or, or can you tell me um, the distinction between acceptance versus surrender? Well, I think that uh, the whole idea of, of being able to let go uh, is very much connected with our attachments to things, attachments to people, especially attachments to our body. We identify very deeply with our bodies, uh, with who we are. Um, physically and mentally. And I think the idea of letting go is so important because really there's nothing to let go of. One of the things that helped me in, in as Brent was dying and helped me in my, my studies was the quantum physicist's idea of non-reality, that nothing is inherently real. And that goes right along with uh, what we often studied at the Buddhist Sangha, which was there uh, is no inherent reality. Everything is created in the mind by the mind, and nothing has any inherent reality from its own side. And quantum physicists would agree with that. 
there is no out there out there, as Fred Allen Wolf would say, that everything is created in the mind. But as long as we believe that there is something out there that is real, that is permanent, that is changeless, we tend to cling to it. And that's what causes suffering. Attachment causes suffering. In fact, the Buddha said all, atta- all suffering is rooted in attachment because now we have a fear of loss. We get attached to things or to people or to situations or to ideas, even opinions. We get attached to this and when things change and when things don't stay like we want them to stay, we, we suffer. And so letting go means that we have actually embraced the idea that everything is impermanent, nothing will last, and that, that we, we don't have to suffer, which was the Buddha's uh, second noble truth. You only suffer when you want things to be different than they are. And one of the things about Brent that people found so amazing was during his 18-month journey, and he called it an adventure, by the way, uh, is that he, he didn't suffer. He said, I, I don't suffer. He says, I don't suffer because I'm not trying to fight it. It is what it is. I live with it. And I enjoy life along the way. And I think that was amazing to people that he could, that he could let go, that he did not struggle. He did not fight it. He always said he hated that term, you know, you read obituaries and somebody had this battle with cancer or battle with something. And he said, it shouldn't be a battle. It just is. And you, you just have to accept it. He said, you're happier when you accept it. So I think that's very important for people to, to learn is to be accepting. And, and it's, it's not a battle. It's an embracing of all that is. Embrace all as the path. I think that was one of the, the most beautiful and touching parts of your book was, was, is how it really does help people understand that we can be present with what is. And there was a conversation in the book by Brent where he was speaking to the oncologist about having the chemo radiation and he didn't want to have it. And the oncologist became very irate and said, don't you know you're going to die if you don't have chemo? And he said, dude, I'm going to die anyway, but I want to live the best life I can live until then. I thought that was phenomenal. And the doctor actually stomped out of the room and slammed the door behind him. And so I want to go into that conversation about health care. And, um, you know, I, I get it that, that doctors and healthcare professionals, their, their lives are based on, on doing their best to save people and on doing their best to, to fix the problem. Uh, but yet, that's not necessarily having us live well or create the appropriate conditions for dying well either. Talk a little bit about that, especially having witnessed the process and watching someone really embrace their journey of dying. Well, that, that was a very interesting experience for sure. Um, and, and I think doctors do struggle with death and dying. Um, I know, um, I, I heard a doctor speak. He's a, an emergency room physician here in town, and uh, he has developed uh, what he calls a universal care directive. 
They said often people are not prepared to die, and so they just, they're there, and they want the doctor to do something, do something, anything, save me, save my loved one, and yet they don't know what to do because they don't understand the process of of death and dying and what it is, and it leaves everybody just sort of hanging out here going, you know, well, I can save you but at what cost? Or I can save you for another six months, um, but I can't save you forever. And and doctors often feel that somehow they've failed their patients uh, if they can't save them. Dr. Hasselhorst had some very interesting uh, things to say uh, when I, I went to his seminar. And I think that um, if, the, if the healthcare community knew and understood uh, the dying process and death, I think everybody would be better off. Um, I know that the, um, the doctor that did a, a, some radiation on Brent's head, there was a spot that had appeared there, and he was so impressed with Brent's attitude about dying, uh, about death and dying. And, and he said, why do you feel this way? And so we... I did. Brent didn't really have any particular religious uh, um, ideas. So I said, well, you know, it's just, it's the Eastern philosophies. It's it's the Buddhist practice that I've been studying for the last 10 years that now I'm being called to put into practice. And he was so intrigued that he attended a seminar up at Mayo Clinic uh, given by uh, a Buddhist monk on death and dying. And um, he told us, he said that was one of the best things he ever did to help him understand uh, patients because as a a radiation oncologist, he was often dealing with people that didn't have long to live. And he said it was the most difficult thing that he did. So in that way, you know, I think Brent helped a lot of people really. Well, you have a radical chapter at the end uh that really talks about the business of illness that prospers from the fear of death. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about that because we don't often think about, you know, when you're in the process of going through something or your family member is in the process of going through something, there's almost a fight or flight that's taking place to try to save or to try to do everything possible. Um, but that right. just feeds a different kind of animal that, that in, is, is, is hungry and gorging on, on, you know, this other process that could be really beautiful. Instead, it's making it that much more traumatic and prolonged. Right. And, and I think that the, uh, that first uh, oncologist that, that we visited, um, you know, who got so angry because Brent wouldn't accept uh, the chemotherapy, I think that, unfortunately, there are many that do... Um, in the healthcare field that do uh, prey on the fears of people. Um, There's often advertisements on television where you see um, different uh, chemotherapy drugs advertised that says, you know, this drug can keep you alive another six and a half months versus a competing drug. And when you, when you look at the, uh, the information about these drugs and the cost, uh, you know, we can keep you alive for another six months, 
and the drug is $80,000 a dose per month. And you, you, you wonder about the, about the means and the understanding. Um, and everybody's different. Some people will want that and, and that's fine. Um, but I think understanding the dying process, being able to embrace the fact that from the minute we're born, we begin to die. Um, it's part of life. It's the, the other side of the coin. And for the healthcare community, um, I think that many, too many times they prey on, on the fear uh, of, of death, uh, maybe prolonging life, but will it be a good life? Will it be, you know, a life of, of a well person? Um, and, and obviously people have to make up their own mind about that. Certainly Brent made up his own mind. Um, and I, I thought that was wonderful. We had a wonderful journey. But I do think there's, there's some kind of understanding and, and knowledge that needs to be gained by the healthcare community so that they can actually embrace the death of a patient without feeling like they failed somehow. Some say that by refusing to acknowledge the existence of disease, we do not allow it to control us. Yet that is not what love is about. It is about embracing the disease, being grateful for the lessons it can bring, and loving life despite the disease. To believe that disease and death are a natural part of the human experience is to enable ourselves to know God's love in a unique way, more so than by refusing, rejecting, and insisting that pain, disease, and death should not be a part of life. Claire Goldsberry's interests have taken her along many different paths. She shares wisdom and knowledge of the ancient sages, spiritual teachers, philosophers, and modern-day quantum physicists in her newest book, The Illusion of Life and Death, Mind, Consciousness, and Eternal Being. She shares her insights as a Buddhist practitioner, her spiritual studies, and her partner's cancer journey to provide a profound view of living and dying as seen through the ages by those who have sought answers regarding the most mysterious aspect of life we call death. Pick up your copy of The Illusion of Life and Death and go to her website, clairegoldsberry.com. That's C-L-A-R-E-G-O-L-D-S-B-E-R-R-Y. ClaireGoldsberry.com. We'll be right back after these messages. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset. 
Discovering the Heart and Stepping into Conscious Living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more? More joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships? More empowered community, greater fulfillment, and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Embrace life. Embrace death. Learn how to live well, and you will know how to die well. That's the key to happiness in the Buddhist sense. Indeed, it is the key to happiness no matter what spiritual philosophy one practices. Embrace whatever we encounter in life. Learn the lessons we need to carry through to our subsequent lives. This is from Claire Goldsberry's book, The Illusion of Life and Death, Mind, Consciousness, and Eternal Being. Uh, Definitely check her out at clairegoldsberry.com. Again, that link is in the description box of the guest's bio. Uh, Welcome back, Claire. I want to talk a little bit more uh, about the, the acceptance versus surrender. So often surrender is looked at from a place of, uh, it can be a place of victim consciousness where I'm, I'm just having to succumb to something. Whereas acceptance would have a little bit different connotation. Um, could you talk a little bit about that in terms of the experience and perhaps maybe in, in Brent's experience of when he first discovered this was taking place? How did he how did he stay so upbeat and positive in the way that it's portrayed? Well, I think his acceptance just came from the fact that that's just kind of the kind of person he was. Um, he was always accepting of whatever life brought. Um, he was 16 when his father died of uh, stomach cancer, and he was very accepting of that. He always just felt that life just, is what it is. Um, He never had any um, desire to fight things or to to want things to be different than they are. He was, I know when when the doctor came out after he had his first um, endoscopy and said, um, 
you know, well, uh, it's esophageal cancer. And I was just like stunned. I'd never known anybody with cancer before. I was just like, oh my. And Brent looked at me and said, well, this should be another excellent adventure. And I'm thinking, how can, how can you say that? You know, but that's just who he was. Things were an adventure. And I think that when you, when you talk about embracing things and accepting things, you're open to whatever comes. Um, you mentioned that, uh, that saying from, from the movie, uh, I can never remember the name of the movie, uh, you know, today is a good day to die. And, and basically, it means that today is a good day for me to embrace and accept whatever life brings. Um, as surrender, sometimes people think of surrendering as like giving up. So I'm just going to give up. Um, and it's not, I think when you accept things, you embrace them and you're more likely to, to have a good death or to have a good response to anything that happens to us. If you embrace it, whether it's the death of a marriage, a friendship, whatever. So I think accepting allows room for uh, also allowing the other person to do what they need to do to go through this journey. Whereas surrendering uh, sometimes, as you mentioned, is is kind of a victim thing. Uh, I'm just going to give up. You know, this is happening to me. I just give up. So I think accepting leads us to a better place than, uh, say, just surrendering. Well, and I think there's also this this aspect of, particularly if it's someone in our lives dying, uh, making it more about us than about the individual and this next process of life, this next ongoing experience of life. Um, Was there any point in your experience or have you encountered where someone has made another person's experience of dying more about themselves? And can you express, you know, how that, how that affects the entire process? Right. And I, I think that's so important because when we, stand at someone's bedside and beg them not to leave us, that primarily puts us as the focus. My ego gets injected into what this person needs to do, which is to be allowed their journey to die as they need to. And yes, um, as a hospice volunteer for a couple of years after Brent's death, uh, we were often warned about family members who just get so upset that they just create all kinds of havoc, uh, begging the person not to die. Um, and I know uh, doctors have seen the same thing at people's bedsides and hospitals. Um, and it really doesn't give the person who's dying the room to die. And it also creates a lot of misery and suffering for you know, for the person who is is getting all upset over the death of a loved one. 
when we inject our ego into their process, into their journey, things get really out of whack and, and it causes a lot of problems. And yes, hospice volunteers have probably seen it all as I have. <laughs> and it, it's really, it's really upsetting to see people inject themselves into the dying person's um, process and the need to do what they need to do to move to the next life. In your book, you write, living in opposition to our environment, in opposition to what is, causes stress, enhances our fears, and causes us to suffer. And I think that that is very, very true. You talk a lot about the body and how one of the greatest things that individuals have a challenge of letting go of is the body, and you go into depth in regard to that. And it had me ponder about some of the other things that might cross an individual's mind as they're going through their adventure of dying, which might have to do with the things that that were left undone in their life or the bucket list they never achieved or the regret or remorsefulness or any forgiveness that has not been done. How did those things impact the process? And is that also part of what we have to learn non-attachment about towards the end? Very much so. Yes. I think letting go means also letting go of regrets letting go of the idea that we still had more to do or we have more to say or we needed to uh, somehow forgive uh, people. Um, I think there's, there's so much that people hang on to at the end that it makes dying very difficult. And I think the, the key is to, to let go, not just of, you know, the material things, um, you know, uh, Brent was, you know, he wasn't worried about letting go of his Corvette at all. You know, he, he was, he thought that was okay. He could leave his Corvette. And I don't <laughs> think he really, uh, <laughs> I think that, um, uh, but the one thing that, that I made him do, um, toward the, uh, toward the end of his life was to get together with his sister and clear up a lot of, um, of, uh, you know, garbage that the two of them had between them. And in fact, she didn't even know that he had cancer until about three months before he died. And uh, a lot of it was just, you know, childhood stuff, uh, ridiculous stuff. And uh, I told him, I said, you are going to get together with your sister and you are going to clear this up and I'm going to sit in the middle and mediate this meeting. And we Mm. did. And, you know, and they, they just, it was wonderful. They got together. They, and she was so happy. Uh, She wasn't happy that uh, he was dying, but she was so happy that she got to uh, be with him at the end of his life and, and, and to clear that out. So there are sometimes things you need to clear out, but you can't do it. At those very last moments, you have to learn to recognize the things you need to clear out, uh, old karmic uh, garbage, things like that, and then take care of it. Um, and, and that should be true for all of us, even if you're not dying. You need to be very careful with body, speech, and mind and make sure that, that you're not creating things that will cause you regret at the end. I think that that must be what was meant by the passage you had in the book where you wrote, disease and death are not the enemy. 
Jesus pointed out what destroys the body is not to be feared or fought, but only what destroys the soul. And, and that would have to do with our speech. That would have to do with our actions. That would have to do with um, what we're allowing to fill our body with the gross sensations of things we've not dealt with. Am I correct? That's correct. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So as we move towards the close of the show, I want to talk a little bit about liberation um, and, and how we really support people in understanding that it is our presence that is truly enough, whether it is presence as someone who's watching the other move through their experience of dying or whether it is an individual moving through their own experience of dying. Can you speak a little bit about liberation and presence? Well, I think liberation uh, from the Eastern uh, philosophical standpoint is, is being free, uh, free from, um, free from the, the things that hinder our lives, being free from suffering, being free from attachments, uh, being free from those things that create barriers to living a good life, um, and, and thus being able to, to have a good death as well. Um, Liberation is a wonderful idea that I discovered in studying the Eastern philosophies, more so than salvation. I think in in Christianity, uh, there's a lot of talk about salvation. And I think liberation uh, means a lot more uh, to me than like salvation. Salvation maybe has to do with someone else saving me. Liberation is me. Uh, being able to extract myself from the barriers, the barriers of fear, the barriers of attachment, the barriers of ignorance, ignorance in how all phenomena exist. When you know how all phenomena exist, you're less likely to grasp them and want to hold to them forever. And it also makes dying easier. Um, I think one thing I would, would like to leave the, uh, the audience with is that a a couple of hours before Brent died, I was standing there talking to him and he looked at me and he said, dying is so easy. I thought it would be harder than this, but it's not. It's just so easy. And that was really the last thing he said to me. And the thing that he left me with that means the most to me, and, and I hope will be a valuable, um, lesson for, uh, your listeners as well. That's beautiful. When we love without attachment, we truly love. We can then give our loved one the space to be who they are and walk the path they are meant to walk. We can even allow them to die at their appointed time without inserting our own wants and needs into the picture. Remember your true home and the things that really matter. Remember your heritage, that we are the children of the heavens, children of the universe. We have much to inherit that is everlasting and worthy of our divine natures. We shouldn't squander our lifetimes on things of illusion. This is from Claire Goldsberry's book, The Illusion of Life and Death, Mind, Consciousness, and Eternal Being. Find out more about her at clairegoldsberry.com. Claire, thank you for being on 1111 Talk Radio for this rich and beautiful interview. It's greatly appreciated. Until next week, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality. 
Your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.